Hello everyone, uh, welcome to uh, this room and welcome to uh, everyone who's joining us live um, on Zoom or on Facebook. Um, this is our second Islam and Liberty Network uh, conference entitled Bringing Citizens Back to Power in Tunis, in Tunisia. Um, actually, um, this is our second conference and the first conference was uh, just one year ago. And it was really very different as far as the topic is concerned. Um, we were we had the luxury to talk about, um, you know, uh, many topics like, for example, street vendors um, in Tunisia. And we went back to the early stages um, of the uh, Tunisian Revolution back in 2011, uh, when Mohammed Barzizi, um, you know, set himself on fire, and we, you know, talked about so many things. But um, after uh, what happened, after the, pres the presidential decrees of um, the 25th of July, uh, 2021, uh, which many deemed as a presidential coup, uh, here we are uh, obliged to talk uh, about something completely different, um, which is the power of citizens in Tunisia and the crisis that is taking place um, right now, uh, whether it is social or economic or uh, political. Um, I'm very happy to welcome all our speakers and, and everyone else who has um, joined us. Um, and we're happy to start um, without further um, ado to, uh, you know, to uh, welcome our speakers. Uh, but before that, I would like to welcome um, Mr. Ali Salman, who is the CEO of the Islam al Network, who joined us all the way from Pakistan. And he's going to be, uh, you know, uh, giving the uh, concluding remarks um, later on. As mentioned in, in the agenda, we will have um, two sessions. Um, uh, in each session, uh, two sessions separated by 15 minute break. Um, and our viewers online can take some time off as well. Um, and then each speaker will have 10 minute uh, presentation and we will also have some discussion and we're looking forward to all of your uh, questions. Without further ado, we would like to welcome um, our first speaker. Uh, she's joining us live uh, from the city of Tatawin in um, uh, southern Tunisia. Her name is uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Jawharatis. She's a political activist and she's a university professor. Um, and she used to be part um, of a Nahda party. Mrs. Jawhara, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Tasneem. Thank you so much for the Islam and Liberty Network for this invitation. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Are you receiving me loud and clear? Yeah. Hi. Okay. So, yes, we can hear you perfectly. Okay. Then, then uh, thank you so much for this uh, invitation. My uh, presentation is entitled The Failure of the Tunisian Political Elite to Bring uh, Tunisians or to Bring People to Power since uh, the revolution and, the, uh, and I'll be speaking about the causes and the repercussions. So uh, um, the causes of this failure of the uh, then, or 
let me say that the uh, the um, uh, the aspects or the aspect of this failure is this what happened in uh, uh, 25th of July or on 25th of July 2021 and this uh, uh, presidential coup that uh, uh, concluded uh, 10 years of uh, uh, or a, a 10 year period of uh, 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 political conflicts without any uh, or much 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 ado about nothing I would say so much much political conflicts without any economic and any social uh, change in uh, uh, in Tunisia so uh, uh, the the causes of this failure I think is the the uh, uh, political class absorption in the uh, uh, in the ideological conflicts rather than uh, 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 rather than having conflicts about, uh, about social and economic programs. And uh, this uh, ideological rifts or this ideological uh, uh, differences could be understood at the very beginning of this, at the, uh, at the very beginning of this period or of this transition. I mean, to, uh, 2011, 20, um, uh, 2014, because it was a period of uh, uh, drafting a new constitution. So a new social contract that uh, uh, um, in which we cannot uh, ignore any uh, ideological uh, um, ideological conversations or ideological discussions, but that would that cannot be understood at all after uh, drafting this constitution with uh, that um, with that level of uh, consensus between the different political actors in uh, in Tunisia. Unfortunately, for the Tunisians, the uh, uh, the the same uh, the same uh, uh, level or the same type of conflicts, which is the ideological uh, uh, conflicts and uh, and the uh, what I would say the or what I would label as the identity politics, uh, resurfaced the, all the discussions and all the dialogues in Tunisia, leaving no room and no space for genuine uh, uh, dialogue about uh, social and economic policies, which and uh, uh, exacerbated the uh, um, i mean the 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 economic and social crisis that had been the 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 main cause behind the revolution of 2011 so uh, uh, besides that or in addition to this uh, uh, to this uh, um, let's say failure to 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 reach a real consensus uh, uh, regarding the, um, I mean, the vision on the, or the the uh, um, the ideology or the, the mainstream ideology of the new Tunisia. Then, uh, 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 in addition to this failure, uh, it was added another failure, which is the failure to uh, to have uh, to keep uh, 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 or the uh, or the failure of the Tunisian actors of the Tunisian political actors to keep their promises, the electoral promises to their to the, uh, uh, to the to the people. I mean, in any in any uh, um, uh, or in e in each elections, there were big promises of uh, uh, change of changing the the uh, the uh, the socio-economic situation of the Tunisians of uh, fighting corruption. But uh, what uh, happened? Okay, after any uh, elections and during the the the. Uh, during the um, uh, the term between uh, every two uh, uh, elections, is that it's the same the same uh, conflicts and the same uh, um, let's say the same tension between the uh, 
political actors would would uh, uh, resurface, and there is no uh, uh, achievement of any uh, electoral uh, uh, promise that shattered uh, any uh, uh, hope uh, among or within the people in uh, in uh, in the traditional political operation. I mean. To, uh, uh, I mean by the traditional political operation, this uh, alternation to power and the, ele uh, uh, the, uh, the, um, the electoral uh, operation. So people or the Tunisian people uh, were disappointed or were more and more, are, were getting more and more disappointed uh, uh, by not only the, the ruling party, I mean Nahda or Nida Tunis, but by all the political class, because all of them, uh, um, uh, convinced, convinced the, the the Tunisian people that they do not have any any real, any genuine uh, uh, program, any genuine social and economic uh, program for Tunisia. Um, uh, then, and uh, furthermore, there was another uh, cause of this uh, deception or of this failure, which is then it's the failure of the political actors to maintain their unity and to uh, uh, their unity as political parties because the Tunisian political uh, uh, landscape was very okay or witnessed especially uh, uh, after uh, 2019 um, a disintegration within the uh, political uh, parties themselves and even the most uh, uh, let's say the most uh, robust uh, uh, political party that uh, everybody uh, thought that uh, it was immune from this uh, disintegration, which is uh, Nahda, uh, uh, um, uh, witnessed the same uh, fate or the same uh, uh, destiny, and uh, there were the um, this uh, uh, failure to of the uh, of the leaders of Nahda to uh, to abide by the uh, the by law of the of the party and to respect internal democracy and here Nahda is as an example and uh, uh, it's an example that could, can uh, be can symbolize all the political uh, all the political uh, uh, actors uh, in Tunisia so this failure to meet to respect the bylaw and to and to respect the uh, internal democracy led uh, eventually to the disintegration of these uh, uh, of these political parties so the the political uh, uh, landscape of tunisia is a is a kind of a, a wasteland if we can uh, uh, if we can uh, um, let's say uh, borrow this uh, this image from ts Eliot. so it's a wasteland because it's a it's a, a it's a, a, a it's a disintegrated uh, um, uh, unity. There is no unity in it, and there are many conflicts between the the different uh, the different ideological affiliations and within each uh, each uh, political party. All these uh, failures. So the failure to to go out of the ideological uh, uh, ideological conflicts. The failure to meet the political and uh, sorry the economic and the uh, and the uh, social uh, 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 expectations of the of the people and the failure to maintain their own uh, 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 the uh, their own unities as political uh, actors all of this helped or uh, intertwined to uh, pave the way for uh, the regression 
which is uh, embodied in the uh, presidential coup of the of the 25th uh, of July. So the the first repercussion for all of this is that there is a kind of uh, uh, the transition or the uh, democratic transition in Tunisia maintained its fragility. We thought that this fragility would last only at the beginning of the uh, uh, of the period, but it maintained uh, uh, it was kept all over uh, these 10 years uh, in spite of this uh, uh, alternation to power, in spite of this uh, apparently successful uh, um, uh, five or four or five uh, uh, elections in Tunisia. But in fact, there was a kind of, uh, uh, it was a, uh, a formal uh, uh, alternation to power without any change, without anything that would uh, uh, um, make people trust or maintain their trust in this uh, political uh, class. So th this is the, then uh, the fragility or exacerbating the fragility of the, of the democratic transition. And the second uh, uh, repercussion, which is what we are living under today is this coup, which is uh, deconstructing all the, all the achievements I mean, even the political achievements that we were proud of, I mean, the constitution, the, uh, the institutions uh, or the democratic institutions that were uh, shaped uh, 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 in the light of this, uh, of this institution were all, uh, uh, were all deconstructed and by, the, uh, by this uh, president that we, uh, we have. And there is a kind of a, popul uh, a populist uh, turn in Tunisia that nobody can anticipate and expect where uh, it is heading and where it is uh, um, uh, given, it is um, uh, leading the country to. So this is in a very brief way and a short way, the sad story of Tunisia after the revolution. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that I didn't exceed my, uh, my time. Thank you very much, Sohara. That was really insightful, and we will have some discussion, some a discussion later. And if everyone, if anyone has a question for Sohara, uh, we'll just wait for the first section to finish because each presentation in the first section um, is connected to the other in some way. Um, so thank you very much. And now we move to our second speaker. Uh, her name is Mrs. Amel Azuz, and she is uh, she used to be a Secretary of State um, in charge of international cooperation, and she was also. Uh, part of an, a leader in, in, in the Nahada party. Um, and uh, now she's a, 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 an independent um, politician. Uh, so the floor is yours, Ms. Amal. Thank you very much, Tasneem. Salam alaikum, Jamian. Thank you, Ali Salman. Thank you, ILN, for having me again. And I, I just to add um, one, just one, uh, um, if you want, um, characteristic. I, I used to be a deputy in the uh, National Constituent Assembly, which I consider to be very important, this name, okay? Because this is in relation to uh, uh, the content of my, uh, of my uh, presentation today. So uh, I do apologize. I have to apologize, first of all, for not adhering very much to uh, the title I have uh, proposed to you at the beginning, which is prospects for um, bringing Tunisians or citizens back to power 
after July 25th. Uh, I'm so sorry because of restrictions of time. I'm obliged to focus only on one, one, just one angle, one uh, uh, aspect or one implication. Implication. The implication of uh, what has so far been called the uh, online public. Uh, uh, consultation, uh, what I personally would call uh, Mr. Kai Sayed's uh, uh, online public consultation, and I, I would see, I would see to what extent this consultation is really bringing uh, citizens back to power. But in order to uh, answer this question, uh, I have chosen to compare this process, which is. Um, uh, supposed to empower citizens, I'd like to compare it to another process which I myself uh, took part in it. I, I, I'm, I consider myself to be one of those founding mothers of the Tunisian uh, new constitution, 2014 constitution. And I'd like to, to show you the difference in both processes so that you, you see uh, which in these processes is really bringing citizens back to power. Um, uh, uh, so uh, the 2014 constitution building process, uh, uh, I said it's thinking and working with citizens, thinking and working with citizens. Um, it was a very, the assembly we worked within was a very uh, widely representative assembly and that, that was thanks to the uh, um, electoral uh, uh, law we chose uh, to have a, a sort of mosaic composition in the assembly so that every single political and uh, social uh, um, uh, part uh, uh, would be represented in the assembly. So it was a very wide spectrum in the uh, assembly. The second point is that we chose to start from uh, a zero document or a document zero. Why that? So that no part or no party within the assembly would impose uh, their um, their uh, position or their vision on the others, whatever was their size within the assembly. Another important uh, uh, characteristic or trait or feature of this uh, process, of this uh, uh, inclusive process, uh, is that it was a very transpar transparent process. The uh, constitutional commissions or committees, uh, uh, in addition to the plenary session itself, are all the time open to uh, the public, open to um, uh, uh, civil society organizations uh, open to the media, all of the media, 24 hours, uh, on 24 hours they were open, so total uh, transparency. Another um, uh, characteristic was the, uh, the inclusiveness, that's very important, it was a, an inclusive participative uh, approach, more than 350 CSOs, civil society organizations, were uh, involved and uh, were listened to within the assembly. Um, uh, intensive, we opted for an intensive dialogue, national dialogue, we called, we called it the national dialogue around or on the constitution, and uh, we held more than, uh, let's say, 26 meetings in Tunisia and 18 meetings outside Tunisia. I mean, for the diaspora and in, in, uh, 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 Tunisian diaspora abroad. Um, in addition, of course, to uh, in addition to that, uh, there was an established. We established an online platform of debate around the questions of all of all national concern. Um, the uh, the when I say inclusiveness, uh, inclusiveness. Also, I would say 
listening to all experts in all the areas, philosophy, uh, sociology, law, constitutional law, uh, administration, including Mr. Said himself. Mr. Qais Said himself was one of those we, we listened to in those, uh, in those uh, hearings, in those constitutional um, uh, committees. Uh, and uh, also uh, the NCA consulted, it, it was open not only to the inside, but also to the outside. We consulted uh, acclaimed commissions such as the Venice uh, Commission for uh, Democracy Through Law. Another, so as you can see very, very quickly, um, the aim was the construction of a national consensus. And we had a national consensus because we needed consensus around our political, the citizens' political and social con contract, which is one, this is the most important contract. So we need to have consensus around it. And this is how we uh, uh, succeeded to have this uh, consensus. And um, uh, you all know, you, as you, all, you may all know, uh, as a result, the constitution was passed um, with, uh, uh, by 200 votes out of 217. Uh, this is to show you to what extent, uh, I mean, the process was inclusive, transparent, and uh, participatory or participative. However, in the second, if I move to the second now process, uh, the national, uh, the uh, what is called the uh, online consultation, public consultation process. I I, I put as a, a title using citizens, not working with citizens, not collaborating with citizens, not hearing citizens, but using using them and manipulating them with just a stroke, a stroke of uh, a pen, Mr. Syed suspended this constitution, this 2014 constitution, gave himself the, uh, the right and the power to rule by decree and uh, to redraft, unfortunately to redraft this uh, constitution through an online, online public uh, uh, consultation or what he insists to call a um, electronic referendum. Uh, the first, this is, as you know, um, dear gentlemen and ladies, this is the first step in his roadmap. The roadmap he, is, he announced the, uh, last December, and it's the only unique gesture through which he uh, involved, uh, he's supposed to involving other actors apart from him in the process. People in this consultation are supposed to uh, uh, give their opinion around five uh, topics or five questions. The first one is education, uh, including education, culture, uh, economy, and elections. Uh, however, uh, 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 and in contrast to the process, uh, process I've been discussing a few minutes later, this process is lacking vision. There is no vision, absence of any vision, absence of any uh, systematic study. And uh, the first uh, point here, uh, I, I can mention, for example, the absence of a legal framework. There is no legal framework whatsoever determining the rules of the game in advance. You know that whatever, if you want to, to have something, you need to prepare its, uh, uh, its rules, the rules of the game. Here, nothing is clear. We just have something uh, in, a, in a very unilateral way. The second uh, thing is that this uh, consultation is not based on um, a priority questions discussed in advance by people. The people who are concerned, citizens who are concerned, are supposed 
to speak and to give their opinion about the future of their country and their proper their own future they were not uh, 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 consulted in advance about about the priorities they've just they just have these questions in front of them questions with very difficult words sometimes so concepts included in these questions are not clear how can a 60 year old guy or lady or, or a young man or an old man understand the difference between a parliamentary system and a hybrid system for example this is a, so no explanations of the concepts the concepts very ambiguous and very uh, vague for them uh, um, so this is what I meant by the absence of vision, the absence of any systematic study. The second characteristic is uh, it is an exclusive process. In contrast to what I've been telling you at the beginning concerning the uh, constitution of the revolution, and I have uh, the pride to be one of those who drafted the revolution constitution, in contrast to that, the, he, here is, there is no inclusiveness at all. It is a very exclusive process. No formal involvement of any political group or of any civil society organizations or of uh, the official, the authority. The, it is totally excluded. The, the high independent authority for elections is totally excluded. So this is why I, I'm, I'm telling you this is a very exclusive process. Uh, in addition to uh, ex exclu this exclu exclusiveness, I'm sorry, uh, there is total opacity, lack of transparency, uh, lack of transparency on the website itself, the website upon which people will give their opinion. Nobody, nobody knew or nobody knows who made this, uh, this website, who made it, uh, on which criteria, uh, uh, who came up with the questions on this, on this consultation. Nobody knows as well how safe, how safe the personal data are, how safe. Nobody knows as well. Nobody knows who the members of the committee, Mr. Qais Sayed, uh, will appoint, will be, okay? Who, who will be to draw the, 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 the suggested amendments? Nobody knows. We don't know if it is an amendment or a redrafting, Mr. Ali. We don't know if it is really a, uh, a mere, a sheer amendment or a redrafting of a new constitution. So um, when this will be ready, when will it be ready? When? Normally in our constitution, any document, any official document which will be, will be submitted to a referendum should be published in the official journal. Here, in this case, we don't know when, uh, although the 25th of July 2022 will be the day of a referendum, but up to now, we don't know when this uh, document will be ready and will be published in the journal. Who will be in charge of organizing the referendum? Does anybody know that? Nobody knows that. Nobody knows who will be in charge of organizing this uh, referendum. Uh, citizens, to be frank, I finish with this. Citizens don't want this consultation. Citizens, there is a meager participation because this is not a priority, despite the huge efforts. There are huge efforts made in order to encourage people, including, including uh, uh, organizing campaigns in neighborhoods, you, the use of the administration cars, local authorities compelling people, using public and private uh, media, only 3%, only 419,000 
citizens have participated up to now, which is a very, very meager number. There is reluctance, there is indifference, people don't care anymore, people have other priorities, people want food on the table, and this is uh, their first. Uh, and to, to finish here, the president is uh, consulting himself. He is not bringing citizens back to power. This process is not bringing citizens uh, back to power. Mr. Said is just consulting himself. This consultation is his. The committee is his. The new constitution is his. But Tunisia is not his. Tunisia is for all the, the, the citizens. Thank you very much. Okay, so uh, thank you very much, Mrs. Uh, Amal. We can see that you're very excited about this, um, given your you know history in in the, in the political life in, in in Tunisia, and you're right about that. Um, so uh, before giving the floor to our third uh, speaker in uh, our first session, I would like to uh, thank everyone who joined uh, us online and in this room. And I want to give special thanks to Mrs. Uh, Mr. Mr. Masmudi, who has written um, a lot of comments. We're going to get to them um, later. Um, and um, he's joining us from Washington, D.C. So without further ado, we would welcome uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Moaz Dahri, who is uh, a specialist in international relations, and he is also a teacher. And he's going to give us... Um, you know, a very interesting uh, approach to uh, to this topic, bringing citizens back together. So we cannot wait to hear your presentation. Thank you, Tasneem. Uh, um, thank you, Mr. Salman, for being here. Um, everyone, uh, from the speakers and the audience members. Um, hello, everyone. Um, the subject I'll be talking about today is um, is do citizens really deserve power? Um, just a disclaimer, this will not be a critique of democracy. Just to be clear from the beginning. Um, in 2011, um, the revolution came as a shock to most Tunisians. And probably um, the most important thing that we achieved was uh, freedom of expression. It was a right that we were um, deprived of for decades. And there was a lot of passion at the beginning. Everyone that was repressed wanted to uh, express their views. And um, it resulted in some interesting things, funny things, and a lot of chaos as well. And that is when I got in 2012 into uh, what we can call a little bit the debating community in Tunisia. Um, I was involved in a lot of um, programs projects about debate, communication, speaking, etc. And, and I thought it was important for me to, to see the second aspect of freedom of expression, not only as a right, but also as a responsibility. So we have the right to express ourselves, but at the same time, we are responsible to research what we express ourselves about. We need to have the knowledge and also we need to know how to express ourselves. We need to be respectful uh, and so on. And that question of the second aspect of freedom of expression, the responsibility part, not only of expressing ourselves, but also of um, being held accountable for the consequences of that uh, freedom of expression can be generalized to um, the question of power 
I'll just be simple about power is the ability to uh, influence others. So I will be talking here about uh, citizens' power with the meaning their part in influencing um, aspects of the uh, governance of the state uh, in any aspect of their lives. So freedom of expression is one of the tools of that power. And I'm talking about citizens in general, uh, whether it is uh, from the political elites, uh, political parties, um, civil society, of course, and even uh, uh, citizens in general as voters, as people that express themselves, that influence each other, etc. And uh, when I say deserve something, I, I mean the two, um, uh, the two meanings of deserve, because we can say someone deserves credit for something, so that's the positive way to see it. And also we can say someone deserves the blame for something, that's the negative way to see it. And um, I'll try to explain if we do actually deserve power uh, on that sense. Um, and uh, uh, I will try to develop this idea. And in, in, uh, in the second part, I'll try to explain a little bit how it applies to Tunisia in particular. Um, so first, let's see power um, from two angles. The first one is quite simple. Um, we see power as a right. And it's quite trivial. Uh, uh, it's simple to see from democratic point of view, even from a religious point of view, if you think about Islam, that any person should have the right to have a say in how he is governed and how his life is organized or how things about his life are regulated, for example. So it's an inalienable right which is about self-determination. And I don't think there's much debate about the, the basics of it. Uh, the second part is, do we actually um, prepare for power so that we assume the consequences of it? I'll, I'll repeat that one more time. Do we actually prepare for power so that we assure, uh, assure that we are responsible for the consequences? And I think that aspect is widely undermined in general, and in Tunisia in particular, and I'll get to that. There are different considerations for power. I'll, I'll just list three. The first one is about matter, about content. What do we uh, need to influence? What aspects each citizen should think about? What can I do? And that's the constructive part of it. The second one is how, the tools, the culture itself of how to exercise power, how to implement things, how to interact with others in the, in the spheres that we can, that relate to that power, to influencing things and how they, they go. And the third one, um, and I'll, I'll say strategy. And uh, I'll bring three things about strategy. The first one is uh, how do we prioritize things? Uh, yeah, we want to influence things, but we have five things on the agenda. Which one goes first? Which one goes second? Uh, and, and I think that is something that we do not discuss enough and we don't think about in terms of power. And this is something to be, uh, to, to be seen and understood uh, about strategy. The second strategic aspect 
is efficiency. Uh, in general, uh, econo econo economic, um, economic experts always talk about scarcity. And I think in most of the world, especially here in Tunisia, we have a scarcity of resources, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's people, whether it's knowledge sometimes. So we need to allocate uh, our resources very wisely so that we can get the results that we want. And the, the last one, I'll just, um, because I'm, I have a recent interest in management, uh, I'll say that we need to understand strategy also uh, from um, a creative and um, revolutionary, let's say, point of view of, we need to have results as soon as possible. We cannot just rely on having uh, all these plans of 20 years, 30 years plans, and then just one release at the end. We need something more, uh, as they say in management, uh, agile, something that with quick releases, uh, something that gives us business values. Uh, if, you, if you want, uh, at some point, we need to, to plan that so that we can have something we can uh, build upon. And I think that that is something uh, that is pushed in general. Uh, we push things, we push things, uh, and um, that, that, that is very problematic from a strategic point of view. Um, if, if we go to, to the case of Tunisia, so we, we hear a lot the idea of we deserve better. So you will hear politicians, especially a few months from the elections, uh, always say, we deserve better, you deserve better, we deserve better as citizens, etc. cetera. Uh, and, I, and I think that's part of the pandering to voters, which is understood, populism sometimes. And um, I think, I think that's, that's a very problematic um, statement that makes citizens as if they were children with no responsibility at all. And they are just there so that we can have these super people that will come and give us what we deserve. And I think that's a very wrong approach in doing politics. And, and I think in Tunisia, that was the way almost for all uh, parties involved in the, in the um, party uh, politics uh, of the parties we have. And um, uh, perhaps we need uh, probably more um, to think about how we can address people so that we can put them in front of their responsibility you have the power, but you need to be responsible for it. So if you give that discourse of you deserve better to someone who, for example, they are thinking about leaving the country, uh, they are not interested in the, in the public sphere, in, in, in the public policies, etc., that is not probably the, the best message uh, so that you can trigger that responsibility in them. And um, th that, that means that we need so that we can have uh, this sense of power as a responsibility, some kind of preparation. And I'll, I'll give two, two examples. Uh, one of them is in the past, and, and I don't think that we get the lesson now. Uh, so the problem with 2011 is that we were shocked. Uh, as I said in the beginning, everyone was shocked. And the problem with being shocked is that no one had a plan. Sorry. So no one had a plan. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the problem is that 
everyone went scrambling and the constitution that needed to be made in one year was made in three years. And there's a lot of probably incoherence in it. It's like a jigsaw. And uh, that is why probably people, even if some, some uh, as, as, my, uh, as my friend, uh, Mrs. Azuz uh, is, is very enthusiastic about it, but I don't think that people in general in Tunisia now are really going to the streets to defend this constitution. Uh, th there was a lot of probably inconsistencies in it, but that's to be discussed. And the problem is that we didn't have some uh, proposition of something really strong so that we can have some ideas about how to deal with things economically, how to deal with social issues, identity issues, how to get around, around that, etc. And, and that is a problem. So just to conclude at the end, uh, as citizens, we want to be heard, to, to, to influence things, to be represented, and that's the part of our really like. But at the same time, we need to be engaged in a constructive uh, mindset and to be responsible when dealing with the consequences. And perhaps um, to deserve better, we need to be better. And thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Morris, for this very unique, um, for these unique thoughts. Um, so as uh, as as we, we've all heard these three uh, presentations, uh, Jahara was talking about the failure of the Tunisian political class to bring citizens uh, back to power in Tunisia. Mrs. Amel was talking about the prospects for bringing citizens uh, back to power. And Mr. Moaz challenged all that and asked the question, do citizens really deserve power? So now we welcome your questions. You're, you're welcome to raise your hands if you want to speak, or you can just drop a question in the chat box. Um, yes, um, just a second, because we have uh, Dr. Radwan who dropped in uh, some uh, comments earlier, and I'm going to read them out um, and ask any speaker or any attendee if, if, if they want to um, comment on that. So Mr. Radwan said, uh, he has four very important facts, according to him. The first being the Tunisian people elected uh, the Nidea Tunis, which is a party, in 2014 and gave them the three presidencies. And this party included many corrupt people and uh, remnants from the uh, old regime. Second point, the devastating effects and impact of COVID-19 on the past two years, minus 9% growth each year. The third point, uh, 10 years is too short to implement real democracy, let alone to implement real economic growth, which we did not even have time to discuss or agree upon. Uh, the fourth one is the electoral law created a very divided and weak parliament slash political system, mosaic of small political parties with over um, 70, that is one third ind uh, independent uh, MPs. Many of them have corrupt or shady backgrounds. And the fifth and final point is uh, the president, Qais Saeed, was elected in 2019 and did, hit, uh, did his uh, utmost to, um, to block any governmental or parliamentary decisions, laws, initiatives, and he wanted to create the crisis in order to justify his coup against the constitution and the parliament. So these uh, these were uh, Dr. Adam Asmodi's uh, reasons maybe of why we resulted in this situation. Anyone who wants to comment about this? Uh, probably just, just a thought. Uh, the fact of uh, 2014 uh, with uh, Nidat Tunis, which is corrupt uh, and took the presidency is there. That's also part of who got in bed with them and 
that's probably something to think about and that's a fact as well okay um you were saying something no all right so go ahead question just near me if you may sure yeah The, the, um, I've, I've read the comments of Mr. Uh, Masmoudi, and I, these are the details that I, uh, that I didn't have time to, 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 uh, to dwell on. But at the same time, all these cannot, uh, let's say, cannot, uh, 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 or cannot make us. We're not really. Yeah. Yes, Tasneem. All this cannot cannot make There's us some technical forget issues. Yes, we can hear you now. Can you repeat, yes. please? As I said, I, I've read the comments of. of uh, yes, I I hear you well, Tasneem. Do you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Yes. Okay. I said that that I've read the comments of Mr. Radwan Masmoudi, and I do agree. Uh, I do agree that they are. Uh, uh, they are. Um, let's say responsible, or the, these are the circumstances in which uh, Tunisia uh, uh, was uh, proceeding in, in its uh, uh, democratic transition. But that does not mean that we have, to, uh, we have to forget or we have to ignore the responsibility of the political uh, elite, of the political class, because uh, um, the, uh, um, I mean, the corruption of, of, uh, of Nidea Tunis, or the, it's not, we cannot say that only Nidea Tunis is corrupt. There are many other, I mean, each, each political party was, uh, 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 or no political party in Tunisia is immune from corruption. And this is the sad, the sad fact or the sad truth of, of, uh, of the Tunisian uh, uh, story. Uh, also, uh, uh, if we don't, if we don't have enough uh, courage or if we don't summon all our courage in this, uh, a, a, a catastrophic moment that our country is uh, undergoing and we keep uh, just uh, uh, turning a deaf ear and a blind eye to our responsibilities as political actors in this situation, then I think we did not learn anything uh, uh, from this uh, lesson of this uh, presidential uh, coup. Uh, I mean, it's, it's time, it's high time that we stood uh, and we revised uh, uh, our strategies, our, uh, our, way, uh, our ways of doing things in, in Tunisia in order, to, in order to reform what can be reformed and in order to save what can be saved of this uh, uh, beautiful dream for uh, the Tunisians. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jawhara. Uh, so we have Mr. Saleh, uh, he's going to ha have a question. And then we have someone all the way from Malaysia who dropped in a question. And then there's also uh, Mr. Hamda who, who wants to speak. Uh, we start with you, uh, Mr. Okay. Saleh. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so uh, one comment and one question. First, Moz said the proposition of something very strong related to a constitution building process. And this made me think that in, I'm, originally from Turkey. In both Turkey and Tunisia, I think, there's a lot of expectations from legal documents, right? A constitution will come and solve all our problems. So there's this legalistic thinking, which I find it interesting that we observe it in both Turkey and Tunisia. And it makes me think about the historical roots of this dynamic. But my question is, why are parties weak in Tunisia? You know, 
one explanation is the electoral rule, right? But there are other countries with similar electoral systems where parties manage to stay their power, you know. And in Tunisia, you had parties with ideologies, right? And Nahda, Nide, Tunis, these parties had ideologies rooted in history. But why is it that parties are not surviving? You know, they, they seem to be losing their steam, not only at the mass level, but also fractioning within so much. So this is one question that I've been thinking myself. I would love to have the opinions of others. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, uh, Saleh. Um, anyone from the specialized politicians who want to answer this question, maybe, um, before we go to the other uh, the other attendees? Could you just kind of phrase it again, please? Sorry, I was focused on my. I'm sorry, I was focused on my my words. I was jotting something. Would like rephrase it. So why are parties weak in Tunisia? Why parties are not able to maintain their base, okay. their membership? In when when get elected to the parliament, why do they lose yes. so much MPs? Yes. Yes. From election to election, yes. you know, yes. almost none of the none of the parties ever, all of the parties ever present in 2011. If you've survived until now, just in 10 years, I mean, uh, I don't know there is, I don't know whether there's another country in the world. Yes. Why is that, is my question. That's a very good question indeed. Um, um, that's a very good question, uh, Mr. Salah. Uh, first of all, there are two principal reasons as far as I, as I can see in my own uh, experience, which I guess it's a long experience, just before 2011 and after 2011. First of all, uh, parties in Tunisia are weak. This is a legacy of a dictatorship. For a long, long time, dictatorship wouldn't allow uh, parties to be present. We had what we call um, just a, um, a sort of fake opposition, just few parties to, to, to oppose the, uh, the unique governing and ruling party. We didn't have really a, a real political life, so we didn't have pluralism uh, uh, the way we see it, Mr. Salah. We didn't have real parties. So this tradition of party life or partisan life doesn't exist. And it has started to exist after the revolution. And after the revolution, there was other problems, which this time are uh, internal problems within the parties themselves. So um, for example, the question of democracy, I've been talking with uh, Ali uh, Salman a uh, um, few uh, uh, hours um, earlier about the, the, the crisis and the problem of parties in Tunisia. What we need is strong parties, but strong parties cannot be strong unless there is democracy within them, unless they have rules to follow. So here we have leadership. What we have is a leader, is leader, leaders and few followers, which are ready to be uh, sold and bought from time to time. Okay, which follow their interests from time to time. We don't have really structured parties with uh, with structures, with laws, with principles, etc. And I guess this is very normal. We have just come back. We have just come to, to democracy. We have just got rid of uh, of dictatorship. So what 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 are ten years in the life of people, in the life of uh, humankind, in the life of civilization? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much for answering the question. Even though I personally think that, of course, ten years are not a lot, but we could have we could have done way better. 
yes. we, we don't have to repeat because here in Tunisia we always say that oh the French Revolution took 100 years for France to stabilize itself and stuff we don't have to repeat the history you know we can we can learn from history so we could have done way better uh, in these 10 years anyway uh, uh, I said someone from Malaysia has uh, joined us thank you very much uh, Mr. Sadiq Azani and his question is hi I'm from Malaysia uh, may I know why did the president presidential coup um, um, why did the president go his own government? That's a very interesting question. And what is he trying to do? We're all asking about this, uh, same here. <laughs> and how will this benefit him? So um, can anyone handle this? I think this is, this is the biggest problem in Tunisia. Um, Zohara, yes, go ahead. Can you, yes. can you repeat? I would say that it is a, a, an impossible mission to, to figure out what, the, what our president wants to do, because nobody knows what he wants to do. Okay, I, I, and I'm not sure whether, whether he really knows what he wants to do or not. Okay, but uh, so why did the president coup his own government? So uh, just to, to, to make things a little bit clearer, the government was not the president's government, even though the uh, uh, the prime minister was chosen by uh, by uh, by uh, the ex prime minister. I mean Hisham Mishishi was uh, uh, chosen by uh, Mr. Uh, Sayed. But though after uh, this uh, the this primary choice, there was in order for uh, Mishishi to have to uh, uh, or uh, for his government to be. Uh, um, how to say to be uh, uh, voted in the in the uh, parliament? He had to to uh, to deal with the uh, parliament uh, or the parliamentarian uh, uh, groups, and uh, uh, so for the president uh, uh, in in the uh, here I, uh, I will be uh, I will I will be speaking in the name of the president. The president thought that uh, Mishishi, uh, um, how to say, uh, stabbed his. Uh, uh, his back by uh, having a deal with Ghanoushi, with the the president of the uh, of the parliament or the deputy speaker, and so uh, uh, once this um, um, this uh, uh, deal was uh, uh, let's say was uh, uh, done between the these two presidents, I mean the the prime minister and the uh, and the deputy speaker, so the the president uh, considered himself as uh, in opposition to this uh, to this government, so. Um, I'm so here. Yeah, I, I feel a little bit even ashamed to to, to explain Tunisian politics to uh, to uh, our brothers and sisters in uh, in different countries because it is uh, sometimes it is it, there is no logic at all. Okay, so sometimes uh, this is the, the um, then you, you cannot you cannot uh, have a, a, a kind of logic in order to understand what is going on in or what was even what was going on in Tunisia before the 25th of July, let alone after the 25th uh, uh, of July. So then it was not the, the, the president's government per se, it was the prime minister was chosen by the, by the president, but after that, afterwards, things changed on their relationship with the, with the, uh, between the government and the president uh, uh, deteriorated, and uh, there were many conflicts uh, uh, between them. So uh, uh, Saeed, uh, uh, seize the opportunity of uh, the COVID-19, and here I would 
I would uh, agree with uh, Mr. Radwan Masmoudis who outlined this, uh, this importance of the COVID-19. So uh, uh, he sees this, uh, this opportunity and this, uh, let's say, uh, popular uh, uh, anger at how the government uh, uh, dealt with, the, with this crisis so uh, uh, and uh, um, and made his uh, his coup. So how will this benefit him? What? Uh, well, how to how to answer such a question? Because what we are seeing now is that uh, Saeed is the supreme uh, the supreme power in Tunisia. There is no uh, Saeed is the legislator. Saeed is the executive, and he is the judge also. So so he is he's monopolizing all the powers. So in terms of if we are going to 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 uh, um, to things in terms of power, Saeed is the most powerful man in Tunisia right now. But at the same time, nothing is, uh, is uh, uh, how say, nothing is working in Tunisia. Everything is, uh, is, uh, is collapsing. Uh, just a few, a few hours uh, uh, earlier, the uh, Tunisia uh, had or was downgraded by one of the uh, uh, of the rating agencies uh, and uh, the financial crisis, so is uh, uh, exacerbated. So uh, nobody can figure out uh, how this can can uh, where we are heading uh, as a as I said. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jawhara. Uh, just to give you like the the. The roadmap from now. So, um, uh, Mrs. Amal is going to give to add an answer to this very question uh, by uh, by our friend from Malaysia, and then we'll hand uh, we'll give the floor to uh, Mr. Hamda, who has been raising his hands for a question. Um, and there, Dr. Adwan Masmoudi also wants to ask a question. Yes, go ahead. Um, in in one sentence, very very briefly, to the to the dear. Um, guest from Malaysia, I would say it was not a coup against the, the government alone, no. It was a coup against a whole system. It was a coup against uh, what came after 2011. All that was born after, including the constitution, the parliament, the high authority, uh, judiciary authority, and now he's preparing also to attack other and other uh, instances and authorities. So just to clarify things for you, um, uh, Mr. Mr. Sadiq from Malaysia is that Mr. Sayed has gone against a whole, a whole system that uh, um, the revolution brought, the revolution and democracy brought. Because he has another, he has another uh, vision uh, for, 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 for political life and for democracy. And he thinks this is wrong. People are not well represented. So he's preparing for his own. Uh, alternative, political alternative, simply. And long before 25th of July, long before. Okay, thank you very much. Um, we also have some other um, questions uh, by Mr. Dom, who has always been following the Islam Liberty Network. Thank you so much for that. Um, and then we also have a question from someone asking uh, who's watching on Facebook Live. Um, now I give the floor to uh, Mr. Hamda. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and actually, I have. Uh, can you hear me first of all? Yes. Yeah. We perfect. can hear you. So thank you. Uh, so thank you very much for this very interesting uh, conference, uh, especially in this period, in this very hard period in Tunisia. 
so um, I, I would like just to have a, to 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 to, uh, to have a question. I have this question, and I would like to to get an answer from uh, from you. And uh, it's about right now we are talking about bringing citizens back to power. And maybe my question, because I'm wondering if we really had power during the last 11 years. So uh, the Tunisian, the simple Tunisian, uh, a simple Tunisian guy that we, we, we would like to ask him this question, you had really the power before. And probably uh, the power for him, it, would, it will be summarized in the election day. In this election day, we have a kind of big, party in the in the whole country so we, we could say that really we have the power to to, to choose a, a party or a, someone to uh, uh, to be elected from me but after that uh, this this simple uh, tunisian uh, he would say that uh, this power that i had before had also some uh, bad effect and uh, um, citizen to power. How could we convince this guy that this back, uh, this power, it's not also bringing back to political conflict, bringing back to economic crisis, and bringing back to all those problems during the, the last 11 years. So uh, somehow we had this democracy, this very beautiful democracy that we were dreaming, but uh, it was, uh, let me say, a disabled democracy. It was not able to construct Tunisia, to construct a powerful country. So uh, how we can convince uh, people to, to that this power is very good for them and this power uh, is uh, in their advantage and, uh, and this, you, you can then convince him to fight to get this uh, power back. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Hamda. Uh, Mrs. Amel is going to answer you. Yes. Thank you very much for the question, Mr. Sharif. Uh, I'd like to tell you that you are absolutely right uh, on that point. Uh, the revolution empowered citizens politically. Um, yes, through elections, through the right to vote to choose their representatives, either uh, in the parliament or locally, but also empower them by protecting their freedoms and liberty. And this is the greatest acquisition. However, it failed to some extent, to some extent, uh, because if we have enough time, I would, say, I would tell you that it, it is not, as many people would like to say, a total failure. No, it failed to address their economic, social and economic life and to provide food on the table. I'm, 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 I'm totally, uh, I totally agree with you. However, after July the 25th, uh, citizens, and this is what I said in my presentation, are neither empowered, they are empower, empowered neither politically nor economically. And they would never be, according to what we have seen, we've been here with Mr. Syed in his coup for seven, seven months now. And there are no hints at all, at all, at all, that uh, something will happen at the level of uh, economy. The same thing is being perpetuated, the same mistakes, okay? But at least before the 25th, there were, nobody can ignore that there were certain 
a certain empowerment, political empowerment at the level of freedoms, political freedoms, personal freedoms, individual freedoms, civil society formation, manifestation, etc., demonstrations. Nobody can ignore that. Thank you very much, uh, Mrs. Amel. So uh, before giving the floor to Dr. Radwan, I wanted to uh, read the question of Mr. Tom Dybal. Maybe you can uh, you can have a say about that. Um, he says he asks, what role does money play uh, uh, in uh, sustaining political parties um, in Tunisia? I think that's very relevant to what we're talking about. Yes, Dr. Radwan, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Tasneem. Uh, and and uh, I, first of all, I wanted to uh, welcome uh, my uh, dear friend uh, Ali to uh, Tunisia. I wish I was there to uh, welcome him uh, personally, but uh, I am out of the country for the time being. But uh, it's great to see you again uh, in Tunis. And thank you very much for organizing these uh, wonderful uh, conferences. Um, I have two points really I wanted to make, I'll, and I will try to make them very quickly because I'm not sure I will be able to attend the, the next panel, but I think they are very important. The first point I wanted to make is that um, I think we are being too tough on ourselves uh, as if we, are, we were expected to finish uh, everything in 10 years, uh, both the democratic process, build real democracy, and then the economic growth, build the real economy. Um, I think that's not realistic. I think that uh, the experience of other countries shows that it takes at least 20 years, if you're lucky, and probably 30 years uh, to build a real democracy and then to build a real economy. These things take time. They are not, it's not one button that you push and all of a sudden you fight corruption. Corruption is uh, as, uh, uh, I think somebody said um, earlier that uh, it's everywhere, not only in political parties, it's everywhere even among the society. The same Tunisians who are demonstrating against corruption are participating in corruption on a daily basis. They give bribes on a daily basis. They participate in corruption every day, and yet they go out and they say, oh, corruption is really bad. It's a culture that has to change. It's a mentality that has to change. And it takes time. It's not, it's, not, uh, it's not really anybody's fault. It's just that these things take time. You, we had dictatorship for 60 years. Dictatorship uh, strengthens the idea of corruption. Why? Because you don't care about the law. You don't care about other people. You only care about yourself and survival. That's what corruption creates. And so this mentality of corruption, basically forget about the law, I do whatever is in my benefit and, what, and, and whatever it takes to survive and to become rich, it doesn't matter how, this is a mentality. It's, it's, it doesn't change all of a sudden because we have a constitution or we, we made some laws or we have democracy, quote unquote, that all of a sudden corruption is gonna disappear. So I think we have to be a little bit lenient with ourselves and, and realistic, more importantly, realistic, that we are only in the first half of the game. Uh, it's, it's a long game. It's, it will take 20 or 30 years. I think we are in the uh, time right now. We're taking a break from democracy for 15 minutes uh, to, to, uh, to try dictatorship again and to see how bad dictatorship can be. 
and I think now the Tunisian are starting to uh, Tunisian people in general are starting to see very quickly how bad dictatorship uh, uh, can be. And I think this is good. I think this is good in, in that it will show the Tunisian people that yes, democracy was not perfect, but democracy is still a million times better than dictatorship. We are now trying, we are trying, we are, we are living in a dictatorship where Qais Saeed can do whatever he wants and decide whatever he wants. But I think this is good for democracy in the long run because the Tunisian people are going to see are going to remember, especially young people, by the way, who did not really live through the dictatorship of Ben Ali. They did not experience it. They did not really see how bad it was, especially in the 90s when, when Ben Ali destroyed everybody and killed everybody and arrested everybody. So I think we have to prepare for the next half. The next half, this, this half time of dictatorship, I predict is going to end very quickly. I, uh, the uh, the economy is crumbling. There is no way this government can survive. There is no way Qais Saeed can survive more than another three months or four months because simply it's not possible. People are going hungry already. People don't ha don't have food to eat. Uh, so we have to prepare for the next ten years. How? Yes, we have to learn lessons from the previous 10 years. What mistakes did we make? Of course, we made a lot of mistakes. There were a lot of mistakes made. How can we learn from those mistakes so that in the next 10 years, we go to the second phase of democracy consolidation and economic growth? And again, we have to be patient. It will take 10 years, if not longer, to consolidate real democracy and then to achieve real economic prosperity and growth. Again, that, in my opinion, these things take, take time. So this is really an important point that I, I wanted to say. The second very important point that nobody mentioned is the impact of foreign interference, foreign powers. This coup has been planned. I guarantee you that this will be revealed very soon in books, not just per, uh, articles, but books that will, that will show that this coup has been planned and had been planned for at least seven years, not one and not two and not three. For seven years, this coup has been planned by the Egyptian military intelligence, by the Saudi military intelligence, by the Emirati military intelligence, and by the Israeli military intelligence. They have been planning this coup for a long time. Why? Because they don't want to see democracy succeed in the Arab world. They think that if democracy succeeds in Tunisia, it will be a threat to their own regimes and to their own stability. And so, of course, they're going to do everything they can to destabilize this uh, nascent democracy. And then they, we all don't know, nobody knows how Qais Saeed became president. I think it will be revealed soon that Qais Saeed became president because he had major support, major support both on Facebook and, and Twitter, but also financial support. But, you know, uh, with 600,000 fake accounts on Facebook, this will be revealed very soon in books, not just articles, in books by the Egyptian military intelligence, by the Saudi military intelligence and Emirati military intelligence. They made him president in 2019 while we were asleep, while we were thinking about, okay, what, what are we gonna do with democracy? And they picked him for this day because they knew that he wanted to destroy democracy. He said in his articles, he said in his publications that he, this democracy that we built, which is called representative democracy, 
is fake. He doesn't believe in it. He wants direct democracy, which has never been tried, has never worked except in Libya's Gaddafi. And we know how that turned out. It turned out to be, turned out to be a disaster in Libya. And that's basically what Qaysaid wants to, to recreate, sim something similar to Al-Jamahiriya, Al-Arabiya, Al-Uzma in, in Libya. So I predict that this, uh, that this, the foreign interference by these uh, very powerful forces, we should not underestimate them, who were able to make strong links with the Tunisian military, unfortunately. The Tunisian military in the past had been neutral from politics, re always refused to get involved in politics. But in the last six or seven years, they built strong connections with the Egyptian military, Emirati military, Saudi military. And so you have a new crop, uh, not, not, not majority, but few, uh, generals who are willing to take to make these adventures and get involved in politics and uh, don't like democracy and and they can be bribed you know they can be bought they can be threatened anyway so my point is we should not be um, uh, naive in thinking that Tunisia is an island where uh, it's only what the Tunisian people decide that happens it's not the case Nobody consulted the Tunisian people uh, about this coup. Nobody asked the Tunisian people whether you want to continue with democracy or, let, or give Qais uh, Saeed all these powers. In fact, he's doing, to, he's trying to, cons to consult with them right now. And only three or 4% of the Tunisian people have responded to this so-called consultation because they know it is a fake and it is a joke. So we have to believe in ourselves. I think the Tunisian people are very disappointed in, in what happened in the last 10 years, but that's normal. But I think they're still very much attached to democracy. And I think they will continue to fight for democracy. And I think this coup will be defeated very soon in the next few months. And then we will have another chance to build, to continue building democracy and build economic prosperity over the next 10 years or maybe even longer, maybe even 15 years. But by the way, 10 years and 15 years is nothing in the life of a nation or in the life of a whole country. That's what it takes to build real democracy and to build real economic growth. That's my opinion. Uh, thank you all very much for this uh, wonderful discussion. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Adwan. Uh, so we'll have uh, some few words from uh, Mr. Ali and then we'll uh, break for uh, the coffee break and then we will come back in 10 minutes and have the other questions and uh, give the floor to, to, uh, to our uh, panelists. Oh, thank you so much, Tasneem. Uh, well, I just wanted to reciprocate uh, Mother Advan, your, uh, your comments. Um, I, I'm missing to see you in person here in, in Tunis. Uh, but good to see you at least virtually. And uh, I want to say that, uh, you know, back in uh, 2019, when um, you hosted uh, me and our workshop here, uh, you left me in very safe hands and uh, made great connections, uh, which you see still today surviving and thriving, actually. Uh, so thank yeah. you so much um, for making these, um, uh, you know, connections and making it all possible. And as you can see, we continue to support the ideas of liberty in Tunisia and other countries. Good to see you. 
Thank you, thank uh, you. Mr. Ali. So uh, thank you so much for joining our first session. We'll go for a 10 minute break and then we'll come back and answer the remainder of the questions and also give the floor to, to our uh, other uh, panelists. Thank you very much, see you in a bit. Welcome back um, everyone to our second uh, session. I hope you enjoyed that first session. So I would like to start with a question that uh, someone from uh, Facebook Live, uh, she was uh, she was joining with from Facebook. Uh, she asked a question, her name is Hajar Yusuf. She said, um, is there, um, there were many international training offered to the political elite from uh, the European Union and the USA. Uh, did they help in reinforcing democratization and political parties? And they gave, she gave she gave the uh, the example of trainings offered by uh, German foundations um, in Tunis. And we know that there are many other similar organizations who offer trainings for you know the youth. Um, and also uh, another question that is related to to this, um, and um, it is from. Uh, a friend of mine uh, say hi to him. He's from um, Lebanon, Mohammed Aziman. He said, um, um, how to empower the youth uh, with everything that is going on um, in uh, Tunisia, especially you know, with the major roles that the, the Tunisian youth have played um, in the early stages of the revolution. Um, anyone from the speakers or anyone else from, um, you know, who are joining us online who would like to um, comment or answer these two questions? Maybe I, yeah. I can try. I think um, in, it's it's very likely that the international organizations training had positive role in terms of you know building some capacity. But the intervention of Kai Said is like an outside factor. You know, regardless of how much you can better yourself in in terms of uh, working across cultures, working across people from different ideologies. Okay. His intervention, I think in this case, came as like an external shock in a sense. But perhaps, you know, before than that, there were also some fights within the parliament as well. So maybe uh, someone more knowledgeable than me can answer that part. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Saleh. Yes, and we're actually going to give you the floor right now for your own presentation. But before that, let me introduce you. So Mr. Salah Yasun um, is from Turkey and he is a PhD candidate at the Department of Political Science of Indiana University. Um, his dissertation focuses on analyzing the local governance institutions in post-revolutionary Tunisia. And um, his presentation is going to be centered about co-partisanship with mayors, institutional performance and citizen trust in local governance institutions uh, in Tunisia. And you know, these kind of, um, topics um we had the luxury to comment on before but maybe now all the focus is on the coup so we'll see with you um and you'll, you'll get us through that the floor is yours okay uh, you have a presentation so we're sharing that okay. i'm waiting for okay can you make it the uh can i make it the uh mm -hmm. no no so, Mr. Sah, before you start, I would I would just like to welcome um, Island Council member uh, Mrs. Oslem, uh, who just joined us from Turkey. Um, hello. There you go. The floor is yours. 
Okay, so um, thank you very much. I would like to start by thanking uh, my friends, um, Abdelaziz and Tassin for inviting me and for Islam and Liberty Network organizing this event. Also, Bada Yumin Yum Yum Al it's you mean two days. Bada you mean? So, so after two days, it's the Independence Day of Tunisia. So I want to congratulate my dear Tunisian friends. Thank it's, you. It's an uh, honor and privilege to uh, do research in this uh, beautiful country with uh, beautiful people. So uh, my outline, I first introduced my research question and then my case study Tunisia, focusing on my analytical framework, giving a taste of my analysis and providing a conclusion within 10 minutes. So let's go, we can move to the next slide. So uh, in Tunisia, how does co-partisanship with mayors influence the citizen trust in local governance institutions is my question. So by co-partisanship, what I mean, I mean citizen having the same political party with their mayor. So both citizen and mayor supporting a Nida Tunis or a Nahda or other parties. Yes, we can go. So you can go, yeah. I do interviews and some surveillances, you can go. So this is the uh, framework that I employ to analyze local governance dynamics in Tunisia. You see ideological connections. These connections operate whether through Ennahda's um, party networks or party networks of Nide Tunis, uh, the other major party at that time. These ideologies is passed or a Burgivist framework at the local level determine the interactions between party organization, appointments to bureaucracy, particularly the office of governorate, and targeted benefits. So who gets what at the local level? So issues related to permits, for instance, who, who receives uh, building permits, um, who receives, uh, you know, where a certain road is going to build, or, you know, even employment opportunities. So uh, this framework, uh, I, I employ this framework to exp explain the local governance structure in Tunisia. You can go to the next slide. So this uh, figure two this shows the seed uh, distribution in Tunisia. The uh, largest two parties are Ennahda and Nide Tunis. As you can see here, Nide earned 76 mayoral seats and Nahda 131 mayoral seats. But I need to uh, move. So the biggest two parties are Ennahda and Nide Tunis, independence coming second. So I will provide a very brief introduction on those parties. Nide is a party that we classify as an authoritarian successor party. But what we mean by that term is it's a party that inherited the uh, 
legacy, the ideology of the single party of the uh, uh, of the first republic, uh, with the what we call Burgibis ideology, with tenets such as independence, advancing women's rights, uh, anti-colonialism, and Ennahda is a conservative party with Islamist roots that operated under the prior regime through uh, some uh, network organizations. So when the revolution happened, it could benefit from those organizations as well. So to the period between 2016 and 2019, so coalition between these two actors, you know, where they kind of uh, shared among each other the bureaucratic appointments, which in 2018 uh, ended up in a conflict, the end of the coalition government when this study was conducted. So we can go to the next slide. Uh, so what we, when I compared their 2014 electoral programs, I think this also relates to a discussion early on about whether there were any differences in those parties. What did they offer to citizens? So what I saw is that there is there are few things different between the parties of between the programs of these two parties, right? Uh, as you see in the table, they basically say the same things. They support they have uh, industrial policy supporting industrial development fiscal balance, agricultural production, you know, they even list the same regions as the regions to focus on uh, as the, the disadvantaged re regions. So uh, the difference between these two parties in electoral competition does not root from different socioeconomic policies that they take, I argue, it rather stems from uh, in-group versus out-group dynamics and cultural cleavages that also orient how these parties interact with the local governance dynamics. We can go to the next slide. So uh, this figure based on the 2018, uh, the code of local collectives, the, uh, as you can see here, the Ministry of, in currently the Ministry of Interior, previously the Ministry of Local Affairs and Environment appoint the Secretary General uh, who oversees administrative subunits, mayor chairs both the administrative and the political unit uh, of a local council and the uh, citizens can uh, attend the local council sessions or specific commission. So what's the purpose of this figure? The figure, the purpose of this figure is to show that the mayor is the supreme, the, the race, the supreme leader at the local level, chairing both uh, administrative and political units. So we can, can you look at me? Sorry, can you look at me? I will, I will do my finger like that next time. So the formal powers of mayors include uh, supervising the budget, coordinating with central authorities, engaging in hiring decisions, managing municipal property, real estate use, roads, permits, public contracts, uh, overseeing environmental police violation reports. So what these uh, powers, what these formal powers allocated to mayors imply is that uh, they have extensive authority regarding both uh, managing local affairs and deciding how resources are allocated uh, to uh, citizens or locations within municipalities. Furthermore, in addition to that, uh, many council uh, members uh, lack training, formal training. Now, at the time, especially in 2020, uh, they did not have training in the uh, Code of Local Collectives, which provided an opportunity for uh, mayors to expand the scope of their influence within municipalities. So can you uh, move to the next slide, please? So uh, I did 64 interviews across six governorates, uh, you know, Kef, Sfax, Gabes, uh, Tunis, Karivan, Ariana, and I did uh, some, I did a survey analysis on Arab barometer, uh, trust in local government. So we can go to the next slide. So 
first i will do i will explain my uh, survey results to you so uh, i'm trying to explain the level of trust that tunisians have in local governance right and this is measured through the question please tell me how much trust you have uh, in local governance with one standing for not at all and four standing for great deal so 38% of Tunisians did not have any trust at all in local governance and four, about 7% had a great deal of trust. And, uh, you know, actually this is a, a lot bigger, better figure than the trust in national parliament. Um, you know, same company asked the trust in national parliament, about 80% of Tunisians did not have trust in it. So uh, I'm trying, I'm going to explain this uh, figure. Okay, I'm very sorry, you cannot see this uh, image very well, but um, so what I did was I matched the party of respondents with the party of mayor, okay? In figure six, which hopefully you can see better in your uh, computers, those who are joining over Zoom. What I'm seeing is that um, Tunisians, Tunisians co-partisan with their mayors are a lot more trusting in local governance than Tunisians who are not co-partisan with their mayors. So just, uh, I will give you a, one summary about 30% of Tunisians who are co-partisan with their mayors don't have any trust at all in local governance. Uh, but this figure rises to about 45% for Tunisians uh, who are not co-partisan with their mayors. So um, basically focus on this, uh, what it says party match here. What party match there in this marginal effects figure suggests is that, okay, uh, co-partisanship increases the likelihood of having a higher level of trust by about 30%. So if you're co-partisan with mayor, you are one step closer to be trusting to the mayor by 30%. So can you move? And you know, uh, I, I'll skip that one. It's, it's a bit too complicated. So uh, I will focus on interview evidence, okay? So why is this happening, okay? Uh, conflicts occur in uh, councils, in local councils, and this conflict dynamics can derive from ideological differences, uh, Nahdawi, Nidawi, or, you know, leftist parliament, leftist council members, and Nahda, and uh, politics at the national level can influence local dynamics, what's also referred as the mentality of selfishness. Furthermore, party ties can be linked to tribal relations as well. So, which dynamics can these lead to? Okay, opinions not may not be followed through sessions. An opinion raised in just uh, just a may not be followed in just uh, 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 Sessions uh, maybe maybe more frequently held in closed format, oriented towards co-partisans of the mayor's party. Mayors could force yes or no vote on projects early on, and they may extend their formal powers and reward extend reward for specific uh, council members and even distribute certain commission seats among co-partisans, you know, and this expands to construction permits, public space allocation, expediting permits, building authorizations, providing agricultural equipment, you know, supporting certain civil society groups and finding jobs. So to conclude, okay, uh, in new democracies, parties and, parties and ideological connections matter. And uh, co-partisanship with mayors uh, can influence citizen trust in local governance. And so 
I will start with policy recommendations since we have a policy oriented room here. Uh, so what can be done is strengthening civil society organizations and independent organizations. And uh, too bad that the, the institution INLUCC was keeping track of uh, some reports, but uh, unfortunately it's closed now. And uh, being mindful about the role of partisanship, which can be both positive and negative, awareness of clientelism, patronage, in its role in democratization, and perhaps realizing that clientelism is a part of democracy. Uh, I'm gonna stop here and uh, for respecting the time of the audience and other speakers. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Saleh. That was really interesting and different from, um, you know, you can see, we can see the difference between, you know, those who are in, um, you know, involved in the political life directly and those who are obser observing and studying uh, as you are. Um, and uh, now, uh, before we get the questions, we'll go to um, our um, final uh, panelist. Uh, he is joining us uh, online and he's actually tested positive. So we hope that he has a speedy recovery. Uh, Mr. Uh, Bedirhan, uh, he is uh, from Turkey and he is a research intern at the think tank Arab Reform Initiative. Uh, he holds a master's degree and a bachelor's degree from Sciences Po Paris. Uh, his research focuses on religion, value, politics, and democracy um, in Tunisia. His presentation title is going to be Beyond Religion When Populism Meets Post-Islamism in Tunisia. Uh, Mr. Bedirhan, uh, thank you very much for making sure to, to, to join us. The floor is Hello. yours. Hello, thank you very much. I'd like to thank the Islam and Liberty Network for their invitation, of course, and I'm terribly saddened uh, for not being there today physically because I have COVID, but, and please do excuse me if I, if my voice trembles, though I have very mild symptoms, it can still be bad. So- We can hear you fine. Okay, thank you. Uh, so yeah, so my, my presentation is, it, it basically looks at uh, Islamism, post-Islamism and populism in Tunisia. And it's the result of uh, my master's research partially and then partially, it includes my remarks from an ongoing research I'm trying to do um, on conservatism in Tunisia. Uh, and the, the main question I was interested in was, how did it happen that the two actors who had the most strong, uh, the, the, strength, the strongest actors in Tunisian politics, President Said and the Nahda party, who seemed to share similar ideological viewpoints, which was religious conservative viewpoints, ended up uh, being on such bad food, which resulted in the, in the crisis we're experiencing right now. So to, to look at that, I want to first stop, start with the concept of post-Islamism. You know? So post-Islamism, well, the, of course, Islamism is a term that's very familiar with most of the people I guess here as you know, an Islamic way of organizing society, as a seeing ideology in Islam, it's related to Muslim Brotherhood, uh, historically, it's a political family, I guess, right now, which includes very different versions of it around the world, you know. Um, but then post-Islamism is a concept that uh, a sociologist, Asif Bayad, coined in 1995 to, to describe a shift in the Islamist movement. So it's a, he, he based his observation on Iran, but I think now it's used very widely to talk about different movements. And, and Nahda in Tunisia is one of these. So Asif Bayad sees post-Islamism first is an ideology, which uh, basically 
changes the rationale and uh, reconceptualizes Islamism by uh, remarrying Islam with individual choice, freedom, with democracy, with modernity. So this means a qualitative shift in Islamism as an ideology. But at the same time, it means a condition. It refers to a condition in which uh, after a phase of experimentation, the appeal, energy, and the source of legitimacy of Islamism get exhausted, even among the supporters of Islamism itself. So uh, a question that has been asked by many scholars is to what extent does it apply to, to Tunisia? So my, my personal observation through my research was that in Tunisia, uh, it, it began, I think, uh, much earlier than what few people thought, because we have seen offshoots uh, in 1970s and 80s with people like Hamada and Neifer. But I think more interestingly is, is the period after the revolution, because after the revolution, uh, and Nahda has made many steps, you know, uh, they accepted the democratic constitution, they accepted the uh, coalition governments, the constitution, the democratic politics, uh, and the 2014 constitution was a result of that. And the, the 10th Congress of, of Nahda. Um, which, I mean, uh, Ganusha declared as Nahda's exit from political Islam. Uh, but I think what it really mean, meant in practice, from my observation, was that it meant the prioritization of politics at the expense of religious activism, you know. So uh, the religious sphere in Tunisia became, uh, was very weak, and it remained quite weak. And this is actually quite in contrast to uh, other democratic Islamist uh, parties in, we have seen it, like in Turkey, for instance. Um, so why did this happen? Because, I mean, there's a compromise that happened between Nahda and Nida, which I think played the most important role in that. Because then uh, when this compromise happened, we saw an ideological moderation of Nahda. And religion, in a way, began to fade away as the pressing issue in the country. So uh, in the 2011-2014 uh, uh, period, religion was a very pressing issue for most of the citizens and most of the actors themselves, political actors, for Nahda, for Bide. Uh, and it, 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 it began to fade away. And Nahda stopped pushing for um, what some people would call maybe radical Islamizing politics. They, 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 they didn't push for Islamizing, for instance, the institutions, religious institutions of the state, like the religious ministry of religious affairs, you know. So with that, actually, whereas there was a, a very among many um, less religious, less um, citizens that Nahda would be super Islamizing the country, this fear started fading away after 1914, actually. And the priorities of the citizens, including the people of Nahda, started changing. So the ideological debates that we mentioned uh, started losing their importance. And if you look at the accusations against Nahda right now, they're very different from the accusations we have seen in 2013. Because in 2013, you know, it was about uh, the Islamizing politics, whereas right now it's corruption. It's the closed nature of its organization. It's its inability to reform the different institutions, justice, security system, it's, its alliance with the old regime figures like Nide, its inability to discover growth in economic sense and to inability to, 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 to deliver social justice. I mean, so the importance of ideology, of religion uh, as an ideology as well, uh, faded away for, for, many, for many Tunisians. And, and, and even if you look at the Islamist militants themselves, when, you, when I talk to younger people from Al-Nahda, uh, you know, when I talk to older people from the older, from the older um, ages, they would always refer to 
Albana, Sayyid Qutub, the, the famous names, and sometimes even Gramsci and Marx. And, and, and the people right now, they don't read Albana. They don't need Marx. Uh, they don't read Marx. They, 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 they watch YouTube videos, you know? So it's, 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 um, it was a very different shift, generational shift within the supporters of itself. But then uh, what happened that the political polarization at the parliament remained between mainly secular-minded parties and Islamist-minded parties, ideological lines, but the, 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 the criticism changed. And this is at such a point that populism arrived in Tunisia. But when I say this, I don't mean that the religious practice or, or the importance of religion or culture uh, or identity went away in Tunisia. It remained, but it changed its face, I think. Uh, and this is why Kais Saeed won in such a, such, a, such a victory as well, because, I mean, he was supported by Al-Nahda. They were from the same uh, ideological, they were supposed to be defending similar ideas, you know, but then Saeed was very different because Saeed did not come from a party basis, and Saeed has this uh, what uh, has been became a, a defender of or, or a symbol of populism. And what I understand by populism is not just words; it's not just appealing to people. It's something that has been very much discussed by political science literature, though the term is contested. So, um, I mean, some people see populism as an ideology as well, which poses the 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 the, the rich versus the elite. Uh, the, sorry, the, the rich elite versus the people. Uh, the people versus the corrupt elite, and it, it it wants to reactivate the general will of the people. Yes, there is that. It's also a way of doing politics, a very personalized way of doing politics uh, through uninstitutionalized means. Yes, there is that. But what I'm really interested in here is uh, a relational sociocultural approach to populism. Uh, so it's defined as a low way of doing politics, which means that uh, the leader tries to fusion or the leader fusions with the people. So uh, this means speaking the language of the people, speaking, uh, you know, the, the, the displaying taste similar to the people, and also means using a very uh, personal authority and not a procedural authority. So creating a fusion between the leader and the masses, but there is a touch point here. It's that the leader is the hero fighting for the masses. So the leader is like us, but he's also a Boaz. I think this is very visible in Saeed when he speaks in Tusha, you know, the, the, the literary Arabic and not the Tunisian dialect. Um, so, but then how does he employ, how does he create the fusion with the people through what I call his cultural conservatism? So he does not adhere to the Islamist ideology, but he, he seems to have discovered something much more stronger than the old ideology of Islamism, which is now losing its importance. And even it's in post-Islamist form is losing its capacity to uh, appeal to the people. It's the cultural conservatism void of ideology, I think, that is very appealing to the people, you know, because he is defending very uh, similar points. So, and, and, and um, in that way, I think he has been more successful in appealing to the younger generations who actually, according to most surveys, are much less religious, but still defend similar culturally conservative positions. Um, and in that sense, he has managed to appeal to the masses uh, by seeming as one of them, uh, but not defending a fixed uh, ideology without any organization, just going direct to the people. And this, I think, brings me to the question I want to ask, and by asking, actually, uh, or a criticism towards uh, us researchers in a way as well, because I think there's been a lot of work published on 
recently, or, or, or the, 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 I mean, the, the policymakers in, in Europe, in North America, in Tunisia, researchers, political scientists, we, we focus too much on the ideology, we focus too much on uh, Islamism as well, especially, and post-Islamism, all these things. But the thing is, an ideological moderation, but I think we missed the point of how people live and connecting to people through their lifestyles, through culture, without the ideological debates, um, and, 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 and how much of a strong force that can have, and how this can empower a politician, which can then go on to dismantle institutions, dismantle uh, democratic institutions especially. So I would like to end with this. I hope I didn't take too long of your time. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Bedirhan. That was really very um, insightful uh, and different from what we used to uh, listen about this topic. Um, there's already a question for you, um, Mr. Hassan. You ready? Try the other one. Uh, hello, everybody. So, um, uh, hello, everyone. So, I'm glad to join this conference. Um, so, despite the fact that I was not here since the beginning, I think I missed uh, interesting presentations uh, before the break, but uh, I also witnessed the interesting presentations after the break, uh, presentations uh, coming from uh, academic uh, researchers. So, uh, uh, to be honest, I'm more interested in uh, academics <laughs> than politicians. So, uh, so um, I would like to ask uh, Mr. Salah about uh, his presentation. So uh, your presentation focused on uh, local issues. So um, I want to ask um, if uh, the, the data you have extracted from uh, your work um, uh, is able to show that uh, there is uh, a populist uh, like uh, derive uh, Derive en français, derive, derive. Um, that we are going to a populist uh, stage. Yes, so populist tendencies uh, if, in. Okay, so uh, if if though this data was uh, uh, so uh, was warning us uh, about uh, a populist a populist stage, uh, and uh, we witnessed the the results. Thank you. Uh, unfortunately, I don't. It's a great question, but unfortunately, I don't have that data. <laughs> Maybe you can check Arab Barometer, Google Arab Barometer, and they have online analysis section where you can analysis their data online, and they have specific questions that could tap into populist tendencies. Perhaps you can check them by yourself. But uh, with the data that I collected, my own, I cannot speak of such trends. But what I've observed, I can speak of my conversation with council members, is that I think in the constitution building process and the subsequent events, Tunisians focus too much 
on preventing one single party from capturing all power, especially a Nahda. So they set up all these boundaries that should necessitate consensus, right? And different parties working together. They set up these rules, electoral rules or working rules that necessitate consensus. What happens is that this structure frustrated people uh, at the local level. I can speak at the local level. This, is uh, this structure frustrated people and increased the demand for a single leader at the municipality, a powerful mayor, right? Without the constraints in that case that can really push forward. And I think this dynamic can also be, you know, uh, uh, applied to broader Tunisian national political space, right? What happened? Why people got so frustrated uh, with the parliament? One reason is that I think uh, the um, inability to see who is governing, who is not governing, because the structure is set up in a way that, you know, different parties with, with very little connections have to work together, right? So, and there is no single party that can have uh, a, a government, you can say, okay, this guy is governing, this guy is in opposition, so I know who to punish, right? So this sense was lost. I think this uh, the electoral structure that emphasized too much consensus at the expense of some other potential uh, circumstances that may arise is a factor that uh, supported the phenomenon of Kai Said, but it's not the only factor. So this is my uh, brief perspective. Thank you. Thank you very much for this answer. Uh, before we go to the concluding remarks of uh, Mr. Ali Salman, I would like to ask, uh, on behalf of so many people, I would like to ask Mr. Badirhan a very quick question, and I would like a brief answer if he may. Oh, okay. Uh, so just um, a lot of people in Tunisia, as you know, accused the party of being populist uh, because they're using religion, according to them, um, and to lure people to, you know, um, get to vote for them and stuff, whether regardless of whether this is right or wrong, these same people fail to see the populism that Qaisa Saeed is um, you know, exercing in, 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 in his, you know, speeches and his political campaign. So how, how, do, we, uh, how do we explain this? Because this is very strange to, to me and many people um, as well. Yeah. So uh, I think, no, I don't, I, uh, my, in my book, Anahda does not qualify as a populist party or a movement, and uh, nor does many other parties in Tunisia. Kai uh, Saeed does, Nabil Karoui probably does, uh, and this is not just me, I mean, just naming people as such, it, it has to do with the, the different the, uh, things we take. I mean, I, I don't have the, 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 the time here to develop on the, on the theories in, in academia that have been built around populism. Uh, but um, using religion per se does not mean populism. Populism is something different. It's not just, uh, it's also not just demagogy, you know. Populism means uh, using a, a personalistic approach, it's, us versus them, as elites versus people, because another, yes, um, another had a party uh, scheme that has been working on. I mean, we don't see a leader that's connecting with the population, no. I mean, look at Ganushi's popularity race. He is one of the least popular men in, in Tunisia, like all, in all country combined. Uh, he has, and another is much more popular than Ganushi himself right now as a party. Um, so, 
it's, it's, and Ganushi is loved by the militants, but Ganushi is not loved by the Tunisian public. I mean, all the data showed that. Um, uh, and, and, but Nahda still has a popularity among Tunisians, even after the 25th of July. So this, I think, is, 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 is a basic example of how um, Nahda is not really a populist movement. But what Nahda did was they tried to rely on Saeed's populism in 2019 elections. They formed a coalition with Sky Saeed. I mean, not coalition in the government, uh, parliamentary coalition, but a, a, a power ruling coalition. Uh, I don't know why this is to be asked. Maybe they thought they could control him. Maybe they thought uh, they were ideologically similar, so it would work better than working with other people. But at the end, they formed a coalition and, and they formed a very believing coalition. If you look at, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to name names, but I followed very closely what people used to say about people from Al-Nahda, used to say about Saeed in 2019. They were mocking people, watching for Nabil Karwi on Facebook openly, very big leaders in Al-Nahda were, were, were mocking people for voting Nabil Karwi against Saeed. And when you listen to them now, it's like, oh, he's, he's going to be the Qaddafi, he's going to be the, he's the, he's the devil, you know? It's the guy you brought to government. I mean, um, why, why did this turn happen? Actually, it's not very surprising, because if you look at experiences of other countries, uh, parties, in this case, one of them is, is, is the president, not a party, but uh, political actors from similar backgrounds tend to do worse in power together than parties from uh, different ends of the ideological spectrum sometimes. Why? Because they're fighting for the same... Uh, electorate. I, I, I just one little example to finish with. I went to the Nahda's March for Stability and Defense of the Institutions. I think it was 25th of February last year. And I met very, very few, very interesting people there, like young people. And you know, it was, uh, what I heard there uh, as, as a young guy who was a very, a very pious guy, and it was like, you know, uh, we're in a crisis, he said, but I trust the president. I think the president will solve the issue. And it was, a, it was a point where the, the, the crisis between Al-Nahda and, 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 the, and the president was at this climax. And this guy was at the Nahda's protest, uh, you know, when he still had trust in the president, you know. So it shows that how the, the electorate they're trying to appeal to the, the, are still, um, in a way, we're still con confused at this late stage, you know. So, yeah, I'd like to end with that. Thank you. This is what Mr. Badirhan calls a brief answer. <laughs> But it's, it was really interesting. Uh, thank you very much. And I totally agree. I don't know about the others. And then we have another um, uh, viewer from uh, from Turkey. We have a lot of Turkish people here. That's really an honor. Uh, Mr. Uh, Chari raised his hand. Um, if you want to go ahead and ask a question, the floor is yours. Hello. Hello. Uh, I am, and I'd like to ask a question. The uh, Kaisai term. Uh, how do you term or Kaisai um, as a, a? Is this term or his decisions uh, can we interpret as a kind of counter revolution? To uh, seven. Um, we cannot hear very well. Okay. If you maybe if you can type your question so that we're sure. Can you can you please type your question so that we can get it um, and make sure that's what you said. The most 
Uh, all right. Sorry about. Uh, okay. All right. We can hear you now. You can go ahead and say and, and, and ask a question, but it would be safer if you type it so that we're sure that that's what you said. Maybe if you turn off your video, uh, you, your connection would be better. Yeah, I can talk uh, if you can hear me. Yes, we can hear you now. Uh, All right. I think it's relations with the uh, old. Okay. Um, I think it's better if you type your question. That would be that would be much better. Can you hear me now? We can hear you now. Sorry. Uh, I would like to ask about uh, Kaiser's uh, term uh, relations with the old regime, uh, the ancient regime, Benali term. Uh, how is it this? And uh, how do you find uh, his relation, his uh, stance with the old regime, Benali term? And uh, how do you interpret his decisions or uh, the coup, uh, how do you interpret them uh, as a counter-revolution? Uh, can we deem, can we count this as a counter-revolution to democratic process or is it uh, is just trying to find a uh, balance or trying to find, regulate or reform the democratic process uh, to the old panelists? Uh, thank you for all and sorry about the internet. That's totally fine. Thank you very much. So just to uh, repeat your questions for those who want to answer it. Uh, two questions. Qaysai's uh, relationship with the ousted president uh, regime, uh, Ben Ali, and his, uh, is his decision, uh, can, we, can, you, can we view it uh, as, as counter-revolutionary, his coup, uh, or is, was he trying to really reform, um, you know, do some reforms? Um, Johara, you want to go ahead? Yes. No. Okay, so uh, concerning the relationship of Qais uh, Saeed with the old regime, um, he, okay, or later we we discovered as Tunisian people, okay, as Tunisians, we discovered that he used to uh, to give lectures uh, in the academy of the uh, RCD, the uh, the ancient, uh, uh, the old, um, or the ancient. Uh, or the ex, the former uh, ruling party, okay, uh, the party of Ben Ali, but I don't think that he he, he was a uh, that uh, an an effective leader within this uh, this party, and uh, uh, I think that uh, this later discovery is a is a, is a part of the propaganda against Qais uh, Saeed. And uh, uh, even though I am a fervent uh, opposing or uh, opposing uh, activist against uh, Qais Saeed's coup, but I don't think that he, he is a counter-revolutionary. Uh, I think Qais Saeed is a, uh, um, is a, is a kind of a, uh, an outsider, an outcast, uh, a populist leader. Uh, he, he um, how to say, he sees the opportunity or he, uh, he uh, sees the opportunity of this failure that I talked about, the failure of the political class to 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 immunize the uh, the uh, uh, the democratic transition from any regression, from any slide back. So he is 
uh, and he is trying, okay, in order to be fair with this man, he's trying to reform things and reform Tunisia in his own way. The problem, uh, this is the, uh, this is the, uh, the problem with Qais Saeed. So I, uh, uh, but that does not mean that, uh, that there is no way for the, the ones who have a kind of, or who are bearing a grudge against uh, the Tunisian revolution uh, to, uh, once again, to seize the opportunity of what Qais Saeed is doing in order to, uh, to, uh, to put an end to this uh, revolutionary process and to this uh, democratic process. So Qais Saeed himself, uh, I think it is very, it is unfair to describe Qais Saeed himself as a, as a counter-revolutionary uh, actor, but that does not mean that the, uh, uh, those who are not satisfied with what uh, uh, has been happening in Tunisia during these, uh, 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 these years, since uh, 2011, can, uh, cannot uh, seize the opportunity to, uh, to uh, I mean, to end this revolution that uh, um, deprived them from privileges and from, uh, uh, from power. I hope that uh, my answer is, uh, is clear enough. Thank you very much, uh, Jauha. That was really, um, I, I think it was really uh, to the point. Um, all right, um, we're actually coming to the end of our um, session. Um, and I hope you enjoyed both, uh, both sessions, the first one and the second one. Now we come to the concluding remarks of uh, Mr. Ali Salman, who is the CEO of the Islamic Liberty Network and who came all the way from Pakistan. Um, Mr. Ali, you have, yeah, thank you so much, uh, Tasneem, and uh, I wish to thank, first of all, um, um, uh, all the speakers here and uh, all the participants who are physically present and as well as those who attended online um, and um, kept us uh, all uh, very engaged with their discussion. Uh, and comments and questions and answers. Uh, it's great to see many participants coming from different countries. Um, I was looking at uh, some countries I, I could, of course, from except from Tunisia, we had participants from Turkey, Malaysia, Pakistan, uh, US, uh, Finland, and uh, a couple of other countries. So it's, uh, I think it's, it's an interesting uh, times and uh, people are interested in learning more about what is happening in Tunisia and what um, uh, implications or consequences does it have for the countries in the region and, and elsewhere. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge uh, the support uh, provided by the Atlas Network for um, supporting uh, this project, um, which uh, I think maybe the team you can talk in the end about the other activities of this project, including the videos. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, we can all be more aware of uh, what do we plan to do in, in this space. Um, so in my remarks, I'm just going to sort of, uh, you know, revisit some of the thoughts uh, which we heard earlier. Um, I think from the very start of this uh, conference, we talked about um, uh, identity politics and uh, it was argued that the identity politics um, uh, has remained a dominating uh, sort of debate or, or uh, discourse in last uh, 10, 11 years, 
uh, especially post-revolution. And um, it was also remarked that, um, you know, in, in that context, uh, what we saw that uh, discussion on the socioeconomic challenges uh, was sort of uh, put on a, uh, you know, uh, uh, behind a burner. So not enough focus was given on the social and economic issues uh, of Tunisian people, um, but rather the discussion mo was mostly on the identity politics. And, and uh, I think it was also remarked that, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, the a new constitution was formed, but uh, then perhaps this new constitution uh, was itself was uh, not sufficient uh, to provide uh, for a dispute resolution mechanism, uh, which is expected from a constitution and from a, you know, democratic setup. Um, and, uh, you know, that led to um, uh, sort of paralysis when it comes to addressing the long-term challenges of, uh, of, of country as a whole. Um, uh, and then we also heard about, you know, the, the role which, uh, um, according to uh, one of the participants was has been played by the external intervention. So these are the, I think, very broad concerns, uh, which we, we which we heard today. Um, it is clear that um, this is an ongoing uh, process. Um, we, we um, you know, the, uh, it is true, and I agree that perhaps uh, 10 years or 11 years is not a long time period in nation's history. Uh, but, uh, you know, even if Frankly, if I look at um, U.S., which is the you know uh, the longest living democracy in 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 our age, uh, 250 years or so, even uh, that has its limits, um, and we cannot say that uh, they have perfected their democracies in 200 years. Look what happened last year in in Washington D.C. Um, upon the um you know when uh, president trump could not um, yeah, renew his term um, so there was a, a you know a mob attack on the capitol hill and recently us nation uh, sort of uh, they all they were also reflecting on what has gone wrong with their democracy uh, so we cannot uh, you know my my understanding is that we cannot fix a time limit uh, while we we uh, we can hope that uh, maybe in 20 years or 30 years situation gets better, but may not be as perfect or as, you know, in the, even two, 200 years. So uh, I think the time is perhaps only one dimension, uh, but um, uh, this, this time period has provided us uh, a reflection on, on what has been missed. Um, and as an external observer of uh, these developments um, and based on my uh, discussions with friends here in the last uh, few days, um, I come to this conclusion that, um, you know, the, the discussion about uh, the jobs, the discussion about the state role in the economy, the, the discussion around, uh, you know, the fiscal balance, um, uh, uh, also, let's say, what is the, the new development model of Tunisia should be, has simply been missing um, in, in the overall political discourse. And, and um, and, and, you know, I tend to take this view that, um, yes, um, perhaps 10 years are not enough, but then uh, this is also not a small time period. So uh, this period um, did provide an opportunity and window uh, to political parties to create these new avenues um, of um, socioeconomic transformation and socioeconomic development 
um, of the society, and it, it, it seems that um, sort of this window um, was missed. But that, of course, doesn't mean that it is the end of the world. Um, and um, uh, when we talk about uh, you know bringing citizens back to power, there are um, so many other channels um, also available. Uh, but um, I don't think I, I think that's so that's that's my sort of one take one important uh, takeaway is that uh, going forward we have to talk about um, economy bringing food on the table uh, talking about productive jobs um, you know when I I was I was recently uh, uh, you know just a day ago I was uh, traveling between uh, Tunis and Specs and I saw so many people on, on the road uh, of course who didn't have proper jobs. Um, uh, so it means that there are, uh, the, we, we, the, the economy itself has not been able to provide the productive jobs and maybe the education system needs to be looked at. So there are other issues, uh, not just the, the, the political, uh, you know, the, the distribution of power uh, or balance of power, but the other issues in the society like education and economics, which perhaps needs to be looked at and, and that can also provide uh, mechanisms back to citizens for empowerment. Right? So it's, politics is one way, but then um, uh, providing livelihoods, economic empowerment, um, largely broadening the middle class. So, so if you if you look at um, the history of Tunisia, of course, I mean, uh, you, all of you know much better than me. Uh, the, the 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 fact that the role of the state has been central in and the patronizing and distribution of wealth and resources, it has created an elite around uh, around the state. And it is not a story, by the way, unique to Tunisia. This has happened in so many other countries. Uh, the only way out, of course, is to reformation and and uh, you know uh, sort of um, re-definition um, of the role of the state in the economy itself. So that's, I think, one broader takeaway message. And the second broad takeaway message for me is um, as our last speaker was talking about uh, post-Islamism, and I, I tend to agree that this is an important theme uh, that uh, you know in, we, we saw in especially the later half of the last century when the the ideology of Islamism um, you know survived and thrived in different Muslim societies across across the globe, and um, and in, in many parts uh, they became part of the uh democratization process but even then perhaps um they uh, they need to you know uh, now uh, they some of them are 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 moving to the next stage and uh, talking about the problems of society i think the uh, the example of nada itself is an important uh, example of transition or what uh, what the sheikh anushi used to refer to as islamic democracy is now referred to as muslim democrat so there is perhaps realization of these uh, changes, uh, but um, a lot needs to be done along these grounds that uh, simply an ideology and adherence to an ideology is uh, not sufficient. And, and um, maybe that model has lived its, lived its uh, age already. Um, and um, uh, you know, people want to uh, see um, uh, the changes in, in this debate. And, and, and last, lastly, um, uh, we all acknowledge the role of the social media in, in the revolution itself, but it is also the social media and the spread of uh, the social media, which has posed more challenges for traditional political parties, uh, which, um, which relied on traditional mechanisms of uh, bringing people together 
uh, those me- mechanisms have also now, I think, um, are uh, a sort of things like becoming of past. Uh, so, so yes, those tools were there available, which helped in revolution, but then also uh, those tools uh, also mean that um, new ways of, of, uh, uh, of, of politics is, is, also, is also needed. So I think these are the, my, my thoughts um, I, I wanted to share, but um, I, I must say I thoroughly enjoyed all the discussions um, you know, political comments, uh, as well as the academic analysis. So I, I wish to thank uh, the speakers here. Uh, over to you, Tassan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ali, for uh, these um, insightful remarks. And um, I would like to thank everyone who joined us online and who joined us um, in this room. And before concluding, I wanted to um, highlight something regarding this project, bringing citizens back to power. I wanted to thank the Atlas Network for supporting us on this project. And I wanted to highlight the fact that this is the last uh, phase of our project, organizing the conference. There were two other phases. The first one uh, was to um, hold meetings with the civil society activists and um, Tunisian youth uh, to talk about their thoughts uh, concerning what's happening um, in Tunisia after um, you know, the 25th of, Tunis- of July, the, the presidential decrees. And also we have produced um, eight videos. Um, you will find them soon in our uh, Islam Liberty Network YouTube channel and um, also a Facebook page and also Twitter page. So please do follow us on them. Um, And these videos are uh, short videos about the Tunisian constitution and also about life, um, political life and social life in in Tunisia. Um, And the purpose of the entire project is to grant uh, non-Tunisians, especially the opportunity to understand what's happening um, in Tunisia. Um, thank you very much for uh, attending and thank you very much for, for um, you know, making this conference um, a success and for the great discussion and looking forward to uh, meeting you all. Uh, of course, we will upload uh, this conference, all of it, um, uh, on our, um, you know, social media pages and we hope that you are going to, to join our network for future um, events. Thank you so much and goodbye.